Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Tonight's reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 3, and I'll be reading from verses, chapter 3, verses 8 to 22. 1 Peter chapter 3 starting from verse 8 Finally all of you be like-minded be sympathetic love one another be compassionate and humble do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult on the contrary repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Well, what an incredible privilege it is for us to be able to look at the words of Peter Uh, who saw firsthand the way that Jesus faced suffering. Please pray with me as we dig into this passage. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the things that are written in your word and to understand them and open our hearts so that we would faithfully respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the story of Peter that we're talking about. We're looking at the, the account of Peter and the letter that he wrote to believers. Peter, the one who followed Jesus when he was alive on earth and who wrote this letter that we're studying. Peter, the one who saw ordinary things happen, Jesus talking and and eating and sleeping, uh, but also saw the most astonishing things, Jesus casting out demons, Jesus raising the dead. Peter, who saw Jesus show his power in calming a storm, but who also saw that Jesus didn't resist when faced by suffering and crucifixion. Peter, who in this amazing mix of ordinary and extraordinary, ate a meal with Jesus, 
but did so with a resurrected Jesus who had been dead and buried days before. We see when we read this letter, the account of 1 Peter, that Peter often writes about the intersection, about the coming together of the ordinary things of life with the extraordinary things. The ordinary things of life that are underpinned by something. It's like he's saying, look, this is kind of normal existence for us. There are human authorities that can be frustrating, bosses who can be painful, difficult times in families, messy relationships. Those things kind of happen around us, don't they? We know and we feel being part of that. But there's something else that underlies that, that actually gives shape in that, to meaning to that, enables us to respond to that. And that underlying thing is a divine reality that we mustn't forget. So tonight's passage, 1 Peter 3, focuses on Jesus' response to living with suffering. How did Jesus respond? How did, how did people respond in, in return? Perhaps you've been the target of different jokes for the things that you believe. Perhaps uh, you're just tired of trying to do the right thing when it seems like no one notices, no one cares. Perhaps that sense that it's just going on and on and things are just kind of going from bad to worse. Maybe that's frustrating you. As we look at this passage, we'll recognise those sort of normal life challenges but also be reminded of a deep reality that underlies that, which gives meaning to it and gives us perspective on how we respond. So we've we've talked already that the passage talks about suffering and troubles. And so you may immediately have thought this is about kind of conflict with people who don't share your faith or people who oppose Christianity. But if you look at it carefully, Peter doesn't start there. Instead, he first starts with conflict within the Christian community. Look at those first verses that are written there. He's writing to Christians. He says to them to love one another, not to show hostility to each other. He encourages them to be like-minded and sympathetic, loving, compassionate and humble. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that Peter looks to address conflict in the church. He saw it firsthand himself. If we read through the book of Acts, we see conflict takes place firstly in Acts chapter 6 when there's, when there's problems about the distribution of food and inequalities about how that's going on. That conflict needs to be addressed. Between chapters 10 and 15 of Acts, Peter's wrestled and engaged with this question of how the Gentiles coming into the church should be treated, what's expected of them. Again, a conflict that takes place there. Peter would have been aware of dissension that took place between Paul and John Mark. We're naive if we think there is never conflict between people who are Christians. There are disagreements. They'll happen as we work together and try to work out what priority we should give to different things, what order we should tackle things, how we should go about them. There'll be differences in views. And so Peter starts off by saying how we should respond to that. His first instruction is about attitude. Living in harmony with others starts there. We don't start with a perspective of, I'm going to show why I'm right. We start with a perspective of, how can I care for these other people? So he says, be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, compassionate and humble. Sympathetic means seeking to understand why the other person might feel the way they do. Compassionate means acknowledging their view and, and giving it some credence. 
Humble means accepting that their view could have some merit and we're not automatically right. Submission is a key word that we've been talking about over the last few weeks and it underlines this. When Ron joined us at the church, he talked about how we want to be a community of grace and truth. Grace and truth, those two things working together. So our starting point in how we engage with each other should be about having the right attitude and that should then shape our behaviour. So we don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, we look to respond with blessing. We look to bless, not to curse. Too often, you and I can find ourselves listening to someone else but really just thinking about what our smart response is going to be. Too often we find ourselves thinking about how we're going to score some points in this setting. Voices get raised. Tongues become weapons as people attack each other. We're told to keep our tongues from evil. In quoting the Old Testament, Psalm 34 is a passage that's quoted here. Peter is showing that this is part of God's eternal plan linked with who God is and his purposes. The section that's on the screen now is from uh, Psalm 34. It says, this is how you should act, verses 9 to 11. Let's just go to the next slide. This is how you should react in verses 9 to 11. And the reason behind it, here's why, in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on his people. His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It is because God is a God who shows love that he calls people to also show love. Psalm 34 is one of those psalms from the Old Testament which clearly points to Jesus. It refers to God's deliverance of the righteous person so that not even a bone is broken in their body, it says, which John 19 applies directly to Jesus himself. So this isn't just some principles of nice behaviour but descriptions of those who would look to follow Jesus and trust in him, even during hard days. As followers of Jesus, we shouldn't cause arguments to escalate, to get inflamed. We're to control our voices and our words and seek opportunities to bless, not to win an argument. That's one of the reasons why it's normally pretty pointless to have an argument on social media. Often it's so much better to message someone if you know them and to look to meet them for a coffee or something similar to talk through the question so that you can engage with them rather than try to score points in public as you engage on the media. And even if you disagree with each other at the end, hopefully you've built some relationship on the way through. It's far more helpful. Peter then extends this notion to the conflict that takes place outside the church or with people opposed to Christ. Generally, he writes, you're not likely to suffer harm if you're doing the right thing. Although he says, yeah, but there are times when you will. In this situation, again, it's important to start with the right attitude. Look at verse 14. It says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Too often... I think we tell ourselves the exact opposite. We say to ourselves, if I'm suffering now, I must have done something wrong. It must be be something that's, that's not good, that God's not pleased with me or something like that. But Peter says the exact opposite. 
We're not being ditched by God, we're being blessed by him. This is exactly what Peter heard Jesus himself teach. In chapter uh, 5 of Matthew's Gospel, for example, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So how do we respond in that situation? How do we respond when we're under attack? Well, remembering that God is in control, we don't ignore the people who are attacking us or fight back. We want to respond as Jesus did. God loves those people. So we want to share with them about him. We share the reason for the hope we have, is what Peter says. Why do we have hope? Why do Christians have hope? Well, it's not because we're really good. It's not because we've got it all sorted out, because we don't. No, instead, it's because God is full of mercy and he's shown us mercy. He's shown it to us in Jesus, in his life and death and his resurrection announces it. So we share that with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. I haven't got a tattoo, but I reckon if I ever got one, it might be that. Gentleness and respect. That would be a good slogan to remember. But I wouldn't want the tattoo kind of you know, tucked away under my clothes or something like that. I kind of need it in front of me because I need to remember it, don't I? need to remember it. In fact, what I need to have happen is for it to be tattooed onto my heart to shape the way I engage with people so that I don't forget it but I remember it. We need God to tattoo that on our hearts so that we'll display an attitude of service even in times of conflict. The reality is whenever the Bible talks about about behaviours, It's not about, as Chris said before, us just trying harder. It's about asking God to change us and to shape us, to make us more like his son. Peter talks about how Jesus responded to suffering and that's what we're kind of learning from here. And when you think about it, it might raise a question for you. Back in chapter 2, Peter's described God's people with these words. Incredible words and incredible honour. Your chosen people, royal, a holy nation, God's special possession. It might seem that in that high position, then kind of acting as if you're right could be the way to go. Given that it's so great, why should we be so focused on submitting to others and being servants? Well, the answer, of course, is that's the way Jesus showed Jesus himself, our servant king. He said he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As followers of the servant king, we're to live the same way. As Dave shared a couple of weeks ago, choose Christ, not comfort. Choose Christ, not comfort. If we follow the servant king, we will look to serve. Now, our perspective of what it means to serve also needs to be shaped by Jesus, not what the world tells us. 
I remember as a young Christian, I had a particular idea of how I'd serve. Have you seen the people at major sporting events uh, hold up the John 3.16 sign? That was going to be my gig. That was what I was going to do, I figured. That was going to be a great way how I could serve. Getting prime tickets at major sporting events, holding up that sign around the world. What a great way to serve. I wasn't driven by service, was I? It wasn't anything like the way Jesus served. For me, my sign holding was more about uh, prestige and comfort and fun and what was good there. Perhaps sometimes that's what drives us as well. Maybe sometimes we see prominent Christians playing a significant role in the public space and we long to be able to serve like that. But for most of us, Jesus-shaped service looks a bit different. David Cook uh, used to be the principal of uh, Sydney Missionary and Bible College, SMBC, and he wrote this. It is good for us to realise that few of us will have opportunities, like Martin Luther, to stand at the Council of Worms and declare our faith. Few of us will have the opportunity, like Billy Graham, to pray for the President at his inauguration. But more frequent opportunities to serve will come to us, like this. Can you pick up the tea towel? Can you go and visit that person who's sick in hospital? Can you pick up the phone and call your mother or father just to let them know that you're still there? Can you take the garbage out? Can you vacuum the floor? It may not be praying at the inauguration of the President of the United States, but these are normal, everyday activities. And the Lord Jesus says our energy is to be focused on serving the majestic Son of Man. The Christian life is a life of serving others in his name. We might find ourselves suffering in some way because of some really awful opposition. That could happen. But more likely our suffering will take the form of just wanting a break. We're not feeling valued, feeling like we're giving enough. We might find strong opposition, but more likely we'll just see people not caring about God despite our efforts to engage with them. At those times, maybe we'll feel like the world is just getting worse and worse and wonder if there's any hope. Well, in the next few verses, verses 18 to 22, Peter reminds his readers of the extraordinary truth which underlies their normal existence and says that there is hope. Now, this is a tricky section, these verses from 18 to 22. If you struggle to understand some of it, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. The great Martin Luther described it once as possibly the most obscure passage in the New Testament. Thanks, Ron, for the chance to preach on this tonight. <clears throat> All sorts of theologians have wrestled with it and rarely landed it. And I'm not going to focus too much on it. It's tricky. I'm happy to talk with people afterwards if you want to discuss some thoughts and questions. But what I want to do is really focus on the bits that, that are really clear for us. In doing so, we can uh, apply some principles which are good to follow if you come across a tricky part of the Bible. First, we use the bits of the Bible that are clear to help us understand the bits that are a little bit harder. Secondly, we don't base a Christian doctrine on something that's, that's obscure or hard to work out, not backed up in other places, not supported elsewhere. 
So how do we unpack this passage? Well, first, let's look at verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. If I was going for a second tattoo, that might be it. It's an incredible verse, incredible summary of Christian doctrine. The notion that Jesus stood in our place, that we didn't deserve God's forgiveness, if anything we rebelled against him. But Jesus in fact stood in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. It's a great verse. But it's not the end. Jesus' death is not the end. At the end of the section we read this, verse 22, Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. This is kind of like a before and after photo. A before photo of Jesus' death, an after photo of of Jesus reigning above all. What's brought about the difference? He goes from death to ruling. What's the bridge here? The bridge is... Jesus' resurrection, him coming back to life, being restored to life and being vindicated as the one who is God's chosen one. The resurrection of Jesus Christ stands in the middle of this passage as the thing that changes everything. If it's not true, Christianity falls apart. But if it is true, Christianity stands on it and people's lives have been standing on it ever since. So what about this bit in the middle about preaching to captive spirits and the days of Noah? Well, the details certainly aren't clear, but there are some clues. Firstly, we can see that the days of Noah, that phrase, is used a couple of times in the Bible, not just here. One time, Jesus used it. That's recorded in Luke chapter 17. Jesus uses that phrase, the days of Noah, to describe a world which disobeys God and disregards his rule and instead just carries on with life, eating and drinking and marrying and celebrating as if God doesn't exist. Those people saw Noah carrying on the work of building the ark and preaching righteousness. That's what 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says. But they're described as refusing to listen refusing to listen. So the days of Noah describes an age when the situation looked hopeless, when the whole world was corrupt. Jesus used a similar phrase about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, example of places that are just totally against God's rule. It seems hopeless. Evil behaviour dominated and it seemed it would never end. But in fact, judgement did come. And those who trusted in God were saved. So how does that relate to Jesus' resurrection? Well, Jesus' resurrection is an event which announces both judgment and salvation. Both judgment and new life. There is God's judgment on sin, but that judgment is carried by Jesus. God's judgment for the sin of the world is borne by him when he dies on the cross. Jesus takes the punishment we deserve for rejecting God. And in doing so, Jesus brings salvation to everyone who trusts in him. 
His resurrection from the dead proclaims a victory that could not be reversed. That's the triumphant conclusion to it. Jesus reigns with all sorts of creatures, spiritual creatures beneath him, angels, authorities, powers, all in submission, the passage says. Now, we may not be clear on some sections of these verses. Again, happy to talk it through. But when we think about the bits that are harder to understand, we want to remember God's character. The God who spoke through his prophets, who sent his son, who gave us his Bible, is clear about the things we need to be clear on. And we can be clear on some of these things when we face suffering. Let's think about this. It may be unfair when we face it, just like it was unfair for Jesus. It may last for a long time, just as it took a long time for Noah's Ark to be built. It may feel like it's just business as normal and nothing will change. But a change has already occurred in this world. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was vindicated and death was defeated. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, the deliverance of his people was assured. Victory was proclaimed. A victory that impacts every age of man. We know we can easily get distracted by minor things. Late last year I found myself concerned about what the weather would be like for my holiday and about where we might best see the fireworks and things like that. At that time, a friend sent me this photo. His name is Pavel and he lives in Kiev in the Ukraine. I got to know him through Christian camping. Pavel sent that photo on New Year's Eve from the basement of his building where he and his family were sheltering during a cruise missile attack. And I was worried about the weather and the fireworks. Sometimes we lose perspective. My Ukrainian friend's situation helped me get perspective and us learning about Christian suffering in other parts of the world can really help us get us a much better understanding and perspective. But ultimately Peter goes further and says that the thing that should really shape our thinking The thing that should be front of mind is Jesus' death and resurrection. Peter wants us to keep that perspective and not lose it. You're a Christian, you belong to King Jesus who died and rose again victoriously. Suffering will end. In the meantime, we can endure it graciously, even if it is unfair, just like King Jesus did. Our response to suffering should be shaped by this. Things today may be unfair, but Jesus' resurrection shows God is in control and he can be trusted both today and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm Congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, 
check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.